So I landed with no work visa and about $200 in my bank account and I had to make rent. And so I'm Googling like how to make money online because it's 2008 and that's what you do. Welcome to the Credible Brand Podcast, where we sit down with successful small business owners who are celebrating a major milestone anniversary. Join your host, Lindsay Wigfield, as we explore the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, share stories of overcoming challenges, and uncover valuable insights on building a credible brand that stands the test of time. Thank you for joining us today on the Credible Brand Podcast, the place where we celebrate the business owners who have reached a milestone company anniversary. I'm your host, Lindsay Wigfield, creator of the Champagne Campaign, a box that's delivered to your door with everything you need to launch a high quality social media campaign that leverages your company anniversary for online engagement. It's the perfect blend of party and promotion. Find out more at thecrediblebrand.com. Today's special guest has conquered the business world for an impressive 15 years with her exceptional marketing and copywriting agency. Initially aspiring to be a journalist, she encountered obstacles in securing a full-time job, leading her to embrace the captivating realm of copywriting. Despite initially doubting the potential of her side hustle, she ultimately embraced her triumph and has since thrived in her career. I hope you enjoy this interview with Rachel Allen, founder of Bolt from the Blue. Joining us today is Rachel Allen from the Blue Copywriting. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm excited to chat. You have a sort of unique story with how you started your own business 15 years ago. Can you Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, I would have never in a billion years thought that I was going to run a business. My dream from the time I was in middle school is I really wanted to be a journalist. And I went to school for that. And that was my major. And I did the like internship at NPR and all the things. And then I graduated in 2008. And the market had completely crashed. And they weren't hiring journalists, but they were especially not hiring journalists in rural Tennessee, which is where I was living. So I uh, sent out over 200 resumes and I got zero responses back. And the only job I could get was working in an old Navy warehouse on the 5 a.m. shift. So like me and a bunch of other humanities grads unpacking clothes. So I stuck that out for about six months. And then I was like, you know what? I bet they have jobs in Hong Kong. Because I'm 22 at the time, and that's how my brain was working. And it turns out they do. So uh, I flew over there, but I did not get this horrible piece of paper called a work visa that you have to have to work there. So I landed with no work visa and about $200 in my bank account, and I had to make rent. And so I'm Googling like how to make money online because it's 2008 and that's what you do. I saw these the, these jobs called like freelance jobs for copywriting, and I was like, huh, I wonder what that is. And I looked at it and I was like, well, I've never done this, but like, how hard can it be? And I started taking a couple of them on. And then I was like, wait, people are actually paying me to write? What? 15 years later, here we are. I've got, you know, I've built an agency over the years, built a client roster and um, still standing. 200 resumes and not a response. Uh, yeah. But you came up with a, a different solution for how things should go. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And I know that around that time, content marketing was starting to become a big phrase. And there were a lot of corporations hiring people with journalism experience because of that idea of like getting high quality content, asking the right questions, being able to write and everything. 
So it almost seems like the perfect time to be starting an agency or and having that experience as a with the journalism background to uh, get something started. The school that I went to, I chose it because they actually had the first internet journalism focus in the entire country because we didn't do journalism on the internet when I was going to college, which sounds ridiculous. But yeah, it uh, it actually was perfect timing, although I had no idea at the time. How does that uh, journalism background work its way into what you're currently doing? You know, I think a lot of it is being really good at asking good questions and listening to people and working on a tight deadline, of course. Like when I was very first starting out, I was doing these super low paid jobs, but I could do a bunch of them really fast because I was used to working fast and just kind of getting stuff out the door. So that worked. But the main thing is just honestly, the empathy of being able to sit down with anybody and be like, okay, what's your deal? Like, tell me what you got going on. Are you... So you mentioned low paying jobs, but a lot of them in order to make money. Are you... When do you feel like in the last 15 years that that switched and now you're able to offer um, some more high paying jobs and maybe spend some more time on the work or something along that line? So for me, I think it was probably about three to four years in. I probably could have shifted it sooner, but I was very, very convinced in my own head that this was just going to be a side gig. It was never going to be my real job. And I was like angsting about it because I was, you know, living on the outside. It was, you know, living the freelancer dream. At the time I was living on an island in Greece and like working in the morning mornings and sunbathing all afternoon and having orange juice served to me by strapping young Greek men every morning. And I was having panic attacks every day because I was like, this is terrible. This is <laughs> something has gone badly wrong. This is not what I planned. And I was like, this, this side gig, it keeps working. What am I supposed to do with this? I'm not a business person. And so I had to kind of get over myself and then be like, okay, but like, what if it was a real job? Then what would I do? And then I made that switch into like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this for real, then I need to like actually learn how a business runs and talk to some people who know how businesses run and how pricing is supposed to work. And, you know, all of that uh, sort of grown-up business stuff. You mentioned surrounding yourself with the right people and the right experts. How did you find the right experts? Mostly by hanging out on Twitter and Facebook um, before they were what they are now and looking for the people who I could actually stand. <laughs> so I think you and I have talked about like marketing is a, it's a unique industry. It's got a lot of personality. And there's a lot of people who come to it and just say some really just terrible things all the time. And um, we see all the time people who are like constantly selling or they're doing this whole thing of like, I'm on a mission to help 1 million businesses scale to seven figures. And you're like, okay, but like, where's the real people? So I kind of like hung out and looked for the weirdos. And then I found the weird people who were actually doing the things that I like and, you know, who were aligned with my values and um, got hooked in with a group of them. And we've all kind of grown our businesses up together, which has been really cool to see. Oh, great. So you sort of created your own mastermind group, essentially. Yeah, kind of. Where did the name Bolt from the Blue Copywriting come from? Well, before I was Bolt from Blue Copywriting, I had tried to do my own branding before and I came up with probably the worst name any business has ever had. It was The Revolution, but it was spelled with a W before the... So like writer, you know, awful. No one could yeah. understand it. It was just horrible. And so after I had a couple of people be like, are you like a eco-friendly thing? It's like the world, like what's happening here? I was like, well, this is clearly not tracking. So I read a whole bunch about branding and I took a couple of courses and I sat there and like marinated in that. And then I was actually sitting in bed one night and then I was like, oh, it's like a bolt from the blue because that's what really good copywriting does. It hits you out of nowhere and then nothing is ever the same. You just celebrated your 15 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. How did you celebrate? That's a big deal. 
kind of forgot. <laughs> I didn't realize I don't, I, I think I was actually, it might've been like applying for another podcast or something. And then somebody had asked like, how many years have you been in business? And I did the math and I was like, oh, that's a nice round number. Look at that. I have been celebrating a little bit this year though. I've been talking about it in a lot of conversations. I've been uh, also writing some sort of bigger like thinky type posts because we're going through this really unique time in the online market. And I'm, I've been seeing a lot of people uh, come to me very stressed and they're like, oh no, this, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And I'm like, yo, I've been doing this for 15 years. This is my fourth internet apocalypse. We're fine. So what do you mean internet apocalypse? Let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, by the time this airs, maybe it will have straightened itself out a little bit. But basically, when we're talking right now, there's a there's been this sort of weird like funk over the online market for like, I don't know, six ish months or so. Part of it's due to the effects of AI. You know, I've had a lot of other marketers talk about how they're losing their jobs or, you know, their client roster has gone completely dead overnight. Part of it is also due to we're seeing we're on the downside of a bubble that happened when uh, a bunch of people went into COVID lockdown and then decided they wanted to start businesses. So we're like two years out from that ish. And now they're like, oh, wait, this is like hard. <laughs> I want to go back to my real job. And so they're exiting the market in that um, in that artificial boom has gone. So anyway, all that to say, stuff's really weird right now. And so there's a lot of posting going around on the internet where people are like, it's over, content marketing's done, pack it up, let's go home. I'm like, does anybody remember the last like five times this has happened in the past 10 years? You know, there's always been something new or something um, that's going to change everything. And content marketing will supposedly be dead. And I'm like, man, I've been doing this since the Goog since before the Google Panda algorithm update. Like everybody thought that was going to be the end and it wasn't. And we've had two or three more since then. This is just one more market shift and it's horrible and a pain in the ass and chaotic. And the internet's still going to be here tomorrow. What's your solution to the uh, changing online environment. The thing that I'm telling my clients is don't try to compete with the... So this is specifically in the AI context, right? They're like, oh, but we have to compete with AI. And I'm like, why? It can't compete with you. The humanity that you bring to your work, the way that you do what you do, whatever your thing is, it's not really about that thing. It's about how you do it. So I'm encouraging people to focus on that. And I'm focusing on that as well. And then another thing that I've been seeing to work really well is really bringing the craftsmanship to whatever work you do. So the internet's always been about like ship fast, fail fast, right? Like just get it out there, like throw it out there. And sometimes that's a good thing, but a lot of times you really need the follow through. And so I'm seeing people, uh, for instance, a friend of mine is having her podcast professionally produced. Like she flew to France last week to interview with people in a studio. So very high level stuff, or I'm seeing people nurture their clients for like 18 months before they even ask for a sale. So it's really bringing as much high quality to whatever it is you're doing and not worrying about the hacks and the tips and the tricks and the, you know, 90 day business plans or whatever. It's really just doing what I also call the like equivalent of your business laundry. It's doing the dishes every day. It's doing the laundry. It's showing up on social media. It's talking to your people and it's showing up as human as possible. So what is an example of, um, you mentioned a, a client flying mm -hmm. to France and doing a podcast. So are you saying that necessarily the cadence doesn't matter so much or the frequency doesn't matter so much as like focusing on quality or um, what's a recommendation to somebody who's looking at a limited time? So I think bring the highest quality you can in as much time as is reasonable, which sounds really like fluffy. But what I mean by that is don't fall for the internet cadence of you must post every day 
forever and it has to be fast and it has to be, you know, like maybe you're not going to hit that September launch and that's okay if you're using that extra time to make your product that much better. So it's finding this constant balance that I think we always are working with in entrepreneurship, but people have tended to be like, well, just like ship the bad, you know, like the first version, the beta version will get better later. And right now we're seeing people being more rewarded for taking like just a little bit more time and just getting it as good as you possibly can, which is going to vary for different people at different stages of business. And that's completely fine. Like not everybody's going to fly to France, but if you can just do the very best you can with what you have, instead of kind of throwing something out there and like hoping it works, that's going to do a lot better than doing what has previously worked on the internet. How would you recommend that somebody identify what that quality, there are a lot of channels, there's podcasting and vlogging and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and everything. What's your approach to identifying the right channel for someone to focus on? Oh, I love that you brought this up. I was just uh, ranting about this on, I think, an Instagram video or something, because I've had a bunch of clients uh, to asking me, like, do I need to be on threads? Like, do I have to jump on threads? And so what I've told people for forever, when you're thinking about joining something, whatever channel you're sort of analyzing, first think about is the only reason I'm doing this is because the rest of the internet is doing it right now. And if that's your answer, then don't. Because we've seen this happen before with uh, Clubhouse. When Clubhouse was like, get your Clubhouse room, you got to do it. And then uh, Periscope further back, people are like, oh my God, like you got to nail down that Periscope audience, which as we know, is not a thing now. Yeah. The second thing that you want to think about is where you naturally gravitate towards. So in my case, like words are my deal. So I do really well on Instagram with long form captions or um, in old school blogs, like on my website, which I know people haven't done for years, but people still come to my website and read my blogs and get on my email list. If you're really great at video, then of course, like TikTok, YouTube might be better for you. It's really just about finding the place that you naturally gravitate towards and then really digging down on that. So we're seeing a lot more benefits in terms of marketing of getting deep and embedded in like one to three channels versus being everywhere and then kind of scattering your energy. It's easy to get overwhelmed with marketing and it definitely fills up as much time as you allow it to fill up in your week. It's endless. (laughs) Yep. You had mentioned that trying to do the hacks or the tips, Mm -hmm. a lot. you're seeing a lot of people just spinning their wheels. Can you talk about that a little bit? Why do hacks have a yeah. short life? Yeah. So uh, I think that since the internet's been the internet, people have been trying to figure out a way to game it. And we see that all the time with like, join my course and learn in just 90 days how to create seven figures or whatever. What I'm seeing right now is get on threads and learn how to like gamify your threads audience and scale to blah, 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 blah. You know, they work for about 30 seconds. So the first couple of people who maybe hit it right with them maybe you hit the lottery and maybe that works for you. But as soon as one person finds success with it and they start teaching it to other people, then other people jump on it and the market gets savvy to it and it doesn't work anymore. So pardon me, when we see people jumping on all of these like 90 day business plans or um, whatever launch sequences or any of the other things that basically you would be sold in a Udemy course, you already know it's kind of kicked, right? So if you see all these fads happening, don't worry about jumping on the fad. I used to talk to my, um, when reels first became a thing on Instagram, I would have clients being like, I'm spending eight hours a week making reels. Like, but why? That's a horrible use of your time. So yeah, the fads uh, will come and go. But what really works is just showing up as yourself, doing good work, and then not stopping. You have to think of what your goal is for the platform. Because if you're spending eight hours on reels, and I really hope your goal is to be an influencer or have, you know, a following and eventually make money off of 
doing reels. Exactly. <laughs> but if you're a business and spending eight hours on reels, it's doubtful that you're going to have someone converting from seeing a reel to buying your product or service. So exactly, probably, your time would probably be better spent elsewhere. Right? <laughs> um, though reels are fun. <laughs> that being said, you are a copywriter. And what are some tips that you have for uh, business owners when they're looking at their website content? So I think that you... Uh, I'm actually just going to underline what you said. Is The first thing is to think about why. Why are we doing any of this? What do you want that content to actually do for you? So I think a lot of people are like, well, I have a website because like somebody said I had to. Or I write blogs because my Instagram people like to read them. And I'm like, okay. But like strategically, your words are an actual business asset. Are they performing? Do you know? Do you have a way to measure that? So think about what you want, um, what you want those words to actually do. And a lot of times it's just as simple as I want people to sign up for my newsletter list, or I want to sell things. And that sounds really dumb to like make yourself think through it and say it, but having the, the mental exercise of like, okay, what are we actually doing here? Let's put an end goal on it. Then gives you the, uh, a heuristic to filter whatever you're doing. So like, let's say, um, I don't know, somebody in whatever Facebook group you're in is like, you guys, Threads is like the deal. And you're like, okay, cool. Maybe Threads is whatever. But what I'm actually focused on is building concierge level one-to-one relationships with people. In that case, email marketing, one-to-one emails is going to be a much more effective strategy. So you can just easily kind of be like, meh. But then looking at your website, which is what you asked, this all ties back to that as well. It helps you think about what actually belongs on the website. You know, what doesn't, if you have extra content, which I know I'm sure you've seen with clients, um, sometimes people get nervous and they want to kind of over explain. So they have like seven pages on their site when really they could have two. So you can use that to kind of filter um, all of your content and all of your copy and make sure that it's actually pulling in the right direction. What about for social media? Do you have any copywriting tips for social media? It's going to sound contradictory. So something I tell my clients all the time is all copy is sales copy. And what I mean by that is not always be selling. It's not like the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross coffee is for closers nonsense. What it is, is if you're, you're constantly having a conversation with someone and it's in a business capacity. So eventually you will want to have some sort of ask from them. What you don't want to happen is to have this like super great relationship with them on social media and then they get to your sales page and it feels like you've had a personality transplant. Something has gone very wrong if that happens. So what I encourage them to do is remember that all copy is sales copy. But what that means is you don't have to make it sound like buy my thing all the time. It's we're all having a conversation towards a directed end. And then once it becomes time to have the buy my thing post, it just feels natural and not like you're constantly selling to people. So build relationships understand the context in which this is happening and don't always jam sales posts down people's throats. You mentioned AI. Are you using AI in your business or how do you have recommendations for how business owners can use AI? Yeah. So uh, I used it occasionally for idea generation. It's not really that useful to me yet. Perhaps that will change. Uh, I've had a couple of clients who do, uh, they work with large language models, like that's their business. They develop um, uses for those. So I kind of have a, a little bit of a backstage to it. And honestly, I just haven't found it all that useful because the way that um, LLMs, large language models work, people see them as doing uh, creative things. So like, oh, I can put words into the magic word machine and it gives me something back that didn't happen before. 
but it's not actually creativity. It's just novelty. So the way they work, it's, it's not that they put words together. It's that they look for the, it's a probability game. They look for the next most probable word to go in that sentence based on whatever they're grabbing from the internet. Best case scenario, you might get some weird stuff pushed together. You're never going to get that really human creativity. So that's what I encourage people to think about when they're using AI for, um, for that, for graphics, whatever. Maybe you'll get something that's okay-ish, but it's not going to be um, the quality that you would get with a human. It's not going to be as interesting. And people can also tell. Like, I've gotten a slew of cold email pitches. Um, my favorite one said, Dear Rachel, I hope this email finds you in a spirit of entrepreneurial enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no human would ever put those words together. That's really funny. I know. Very original. So, I know. I'm like, oh, gross. You know, like I can, you can feel it. So I encourage people to think about that. You know, even if you're so-called not good at writing, it's going to be so much better to see whatever you have versus like entrepreneurial enthusiasm. And then um, the only other thing that I think about is just uh, intellectual property with AI. Once you use, if you create something with chat GPT or something like that, you don't own the intellectual property to it. So it's an important business consideration if you're using it to, Oh, I don't know, create courses. Like we're seeing all these courses of like generating a seven figure course in five minutes with AI. And I'm like, no, it's not how we do it. And you won't own it anyway. Right. And if there's plagiarism, you're actually liable for that plagiarism. Yep. But idea generation, that is a good way of using AI and helping it kind of ease the, you're not spending eight hours on reels. You're able to get some ideas for reels and then record them yourself by adding your own expertise or your own spin on it and uh, producing something of higher quality. You mentioned that you have a free book. Yeah. So um, my book is called Use Your Words. I uh, wrote it um, like a billion years ago and then ended up not doing anything with it because I just I was like, oh, look, I wrote a book that happened. Um, so just to show you that marketers is the the whole uh, ch cobbler's children have no shoes thing. I was like, I wrote a book. I didn't tell anyone. There you go. Uh, but I polished it up and it's now uh, live. I'm serializing it on Substack. So there's uh, the book that you can read for free. There's also an audiobook accompaniment to it. So if you would prefer to hear me read it to you, we can do that. But it's uh, all the lessons that I've taken from 15 years of being of working in copywriting and marketing and online business and also having a sort of side gig in advocacy as well. And it's all about effective, persuasive communication. So whether you're doing that in a marketing context, whether you're trying to get more funding for your nonprofit, whether you're writing for advocacy, whatever you're doing, the rules are the same for effective communication. And that's what you'll find in this book. And it's uh, also specifically written for people who are like so-called not good at writing or not good communicators. So it's easy. It's step-by-step step, and you'll learn everything you need to know to uh, make people do stuff with your words. Excellent. The link will be in the show notes for this episode. You met, had mentioned in, I think, the initial questionnaire about hiring and I was just curious, how did you know that it was time for your first hire? And then I have follow-up questions for that. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. So I knew it was time for my first hire when I decided I wanted to scale the business. I had been doing it sort of more seriously for a couple of years. Um, I think I was probably about five years in at that point. I was working with a business coach and she was like, well, what's your end goal here? And I was like, well, ideally, I'd like to not be writing blog posts about you know 15 ways your dental practice can market itself five more years from now. And she said, okay, cool. Well, the way that you do that is you either start offering higher services. So um, branding, uh, CMO work, strategy, that kind of stuff, 
or you go in agency. And I was like, cool, both. So I started doing the strategy stuff. And then I started bringing on writers uh, to do more of the agency work and then ended up growing a team of writers uh, to do sort of the the more day-to-day blog uh, work and the web- website work. Is that person still on your team today? Yeah. So um, we've been working with them. Oh my God, has it been 10 years now? I feel like I need to send a gift. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So since since forever. So whenever I work with somebody, I really, I'm really into uh, long-term relationships and work. I know more people are like, well, you should just keep like a pool of writers you can pull on at any time. And I'm like, that's boring. I want to know the people I work with. Like, <laughs> I want to talk to them. Thank and you. I also have a, um, a distinctive way of teaching writing. So when I work with somebody, I actually train them in the way that I write. And uh, the, the person I was working with, um, her name is Claire Cross, and she's a phenomenal copywriter. You should check her out too. You can find her easily on the Googles. But um, I actually did a lot of training with her. And um, it was cool just to be able to work with her one-on-one and actually grow her and the other people that eventually came along with the team. How can people follow you? connect with you what platform is your favorite I'm a I'm a old hermit lady and I don't actually enjoy any of the platforms but I'm very easy to find on them so the honestly the best way to connect with me is to send me an email at rachel r a c h e l at bolt from the blue copywriting.com because I will email you back but I'm also very easy to find on the internet so the website is bolt from the blue copywriting.com I'm on Instagram at bolt from the blue copywriting Facebook same deal I'm on LinkedIn if you look at my name and then if you just google use your word substack rachel allen it'll pop up too. So I am very easy to find. Is there anything else you'd like to share today? No, you know, I think it's been a really great conversation. I I love how we've been able to tap into so many different things. And I'm just so excited to be able to chat about it with you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Rachel Allen with Bolt from the Blue Copywriting. If you're interested in her Use Your Words free ebook, please check the show notes for a link to that. And thank you, Rachel. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Credible Brand Podcast. Visit Rachel's website at boltfromthebluecopywriting.com. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, please send an email to info at wigfieldco.com. That's info at wigfieldco.com. Thanks for joining us on the Credible Brand Podcast. Please visit wigfieldco.com. That's W-I-G-F-I-E-L-D-C-O.com. From there, get links and show notes pertaining to this episode. Send us an email at info at wigfieldco.com if you'd like to be a guest on a future show. 